Welcome to the Waukesha Bible Church Podcast. We believe the Bible tells a single story, and at the center of that story is Jesus. If you like what you hear today, additional sermons, teaching sessions, and written material can be found on our website at waukeshawbible.org. We hope you enjoy today's episode. We'll be reading Psalm 96 this morning. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, praise his name. Proclaim his salvation day after day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among the peoples. For great is the Lord, and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the nations are idols. The Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and glory are his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of nations. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him, all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. The world is firmly established. It cannot be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens rejoice. Let the earth be glad. Let the sea resound in all that is in it. Let the fields be jubilant and everything in them. Then all the trees of the forest will sing for joy. They will sing before the Lord, for he comes. He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the people in his truth. For those of you who don't know me, uh, my name is Jacob Michelski. I'm one of the pastors at Epicos Church in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And actually me and my family, we, we, we were living here in Waukesha for a bit. But last month we moved over into the Shorewood area. It's on the east side of Milwaukee. And I have the privilege of being at Waukesha Bible Church for two great years, um, interning under the leadership of Pastor Giles and Pastor Pat, and um, I'm just so thankful to be back. It's really nice to see so many familiar faces. Thank you. It's so nice to see so many familiar faces, and it, it feels like I never left. Just your welcome has been been awesome and wonderful, and I'm just so thankful for God's leading and direction and my role here at WBC and how it's prepared me for pastoral ministry now in Milwaukee. So thank you for that. It's nice to be back. If you have a Bible, please turn it to Psalm 96, that psalm that was just read for you here today. If you want to put a bookmark in Romans 8, we'll be jumping in there towards the end of this thing. Um, But yeah, go to Psalm 96. It's a joy to open God's Word with you. Um, And I want to start by asking us one quick question. What comes to your mind if you're asked the question, what is worship? What is worship? What do we adore? What do we give our praise and our affections toward? You see, outside the church, if you just go on the street and start asking random people, what do you worship? They'll look at you weird. You have to explain what you mean by that probably because we don't use worship in our society. But what do you adore? What do you praise? What are some answers you might get? I mean, you might, you might get music. You know, some people really uh, are into music in that scene. I know over where I am at in the east side of Milwaukee, a lot of musicians, a lot of art. Um, and so a lot of people are into that. Being in Milwaukee, there's also a little bit of the sports idea, Right. Hashtag bucks and six. Any, any, anyone? No, no. Oh man, man. I mean, our city was just pumping during those finals, and it was so much fun to watch. Such an energy. 
Um, but yeah, with sports, you have celebrities, sports stars like Aaron Rodgers coming back. I just went to training camp um, with my family, the Packers training camp up north. We got some time away. And man, just to see a line, a line of people waiting to go watch practice. I mean, we're talking about practice and they're going to watch practice. It's just crazy. But these are the things that our society gravitate towards. These are the things that we praise, that we adore. Now, what if I were to ask you in a church setting, what comes to your mind when I ask you, what is worship? Would it be singing? You know, Passion with Chris Tomlin or Michael W. Smith, if you're a little old school. But is this, is this all there is? I hope, I hope you'd say no. We, 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 we express our adoration and praise for God through song, but that's not all there is. And one of the things that I learned that was great being here at, at Waukesha Bible Church is how we, we really care about this an hour and a half here that we have you here on a Sunday. And, we, and I, I, as I was here, we were, we were always trying to focus that the worship is not just the singing aspect of the service, but it's the time that we're in prayer. It's the time that we're even giving announcements. We try to make that worshipful and, and sharing what God's doing. And it's also our time here gathered in the Word is, is an idea, an element of worship. But what happens when we leave these doors? What happens to worship when we leave this place? That's the question I really want to ask us here today. And that's the question that I believe the psalmist in Psalm 96 is asking us. Here's the direction. Here's just my main premise of where I'm going today. And I'm just going to share it with you. The whole world ought to worship Yahweh because there is nothing and no one better in all of creation and He is the ruler of all. Let me read that for you one more time. The whole world ought to worship Yahweh God because there is no one or nothing better in all of creation and He is the ruler of And so I'm going to lay out that premise for you. I'm just going to ask three simple questions of this psalm. I'm not going to give you a traditional outline format, but we're going to look at this psalm, and I just want to ask three very simple questions. You ready for this? You ready? So if you have a bulletin, there's an outline in there that gives you all the questions and even the answers right away, so you can see where I'm going, right? All right, so let's start with our very first question in Psalm 96. What is this psalm calling for? What's this song calling us to do? And I hope that's obvious, right? <laughs> Worship of Yahweh. So if you don't know, like, I, I used Yahweh a lot when I was here. And so I'm, if you saw the outline, you might have realized, oh, something's up. You know, <laughs> there's Yahweh all over this outline. It's because I love using that personal, intimate name that our God gave Moses. He said, I am who I am, and I am always being and existing. And that's what Yahweh means, I am. And he gave us that personal name to call him that, so I like to call God by that personal name. Worship of Yahweh. So that first question, what is this song calling us to do? It's calling us to worship. I hope it's obvious. Look in your text. 
I hope it's obvious. Verses 1 and 2, there's a repeated refrain to what? Sing. Sing a new song. Sing all the earth. Sing and praise His name. Proclaim His salvation. Verse 3, there's a call to what? Declare. Declare what? Declare His glory. Yahweh's glory. Declare His marvelous deeds. Verse 4, Yahweh is great and worthy of praise. Verses 7 through 8, another repeated refrain of ascribe. Ascribe what? All the nations. Ascribe glory and strength. Ascribe glory to His name. Bring an offering. That's what this idea of ascribe means, is, a, is an idea of bringing an offering. And really that idea of ascribe was for a king. A king would, would demand a gift for you to come into his presence. And so that's what the psalm is calling us to do. Bring the gift of your praise and ascribe him these things as you come into his presence. Because Yahweh is the king. We'll get more into that later. Verse 9, worship and tremble. Verse 10, say that Yahweh reigns. And then more worship language in 11 through 13. I think you get the point, (laughs) right? You cannot help but read this song and saying, okay, I think it's telling me to worship Yahweh, right? (laughs) I mean, it's pretty pretty straightforward. But the psalm is also leading us in worship too. It's leading us and showing us how to honor Yahweh in our hearts but also to share His greatness to anyone that's within earshot. And that will bring us to our next question. Question number two. Why? Why should we worship this God? Why does Yahweh deserve our worship? It's kind of an arrogant question. But I think the psalmist gives us an answer to that question. And you might be asking that here today. I don't know how you walked into the store. You might be asking that. Why should I worship this guy? What's he done for me? Well, that's where the psalm is going. So let's go. Let's look at verse 3. The very first, I I think I see this, this question being answered in two ways. The first of all, first way I see it is that Yahweh is better. Yahweh is better. Look at verse 3. I'll read it for you. It says, declare. Declare what? Declare Yahweh's glory. To who? All the nations, among the nations, Yahweh's declare His marvelous deeds to who? Among all the peoples. You see the direction of this psalm. I mean, we've got the first two verses are all just praising Yahweh, praising Yahweh, praising Yahweh. But the direction of the praise changes from, from just Godward praising Yahweh for us to look outside of ourselves. It's almost like the psalmist is calling us to be messengers and to bring the praise of Yahweh to all peoples and to all nations. We'll get more into that later. But it's telling us to hear this news and to take it with you. But then our answer to our question comes in verse 4. Why would we do such a thing? Why would we bring the good news of Yahweh? Why would we bring the praise of Yahweh to the nations, to all peoples? Why? For God, Yahweh, And Yahweh is worthy of praise. He is most worthy of praise. That is why we do it. For He, that is Yahweh, is to be feared above all gods. Verse 5, for all the gods of the nations are idols. But Yahweh, He made the heavens. You see it right there. We're supposed to bring Yahweh to others because others are worshiping just nothing gods. They're worshiping, as as the psalmist says, they're worshiping just idols. But you know who Yahweh is? 
Yahweh's the one that made everything. He's the one who created the heavens themselves. And here's where we find ourselves in the text today, church. We are creatures that are far too easily distracted. And we give ourselves in worship and praise and adoration to gods that are far lesser when compared to Yahweh Almighty, the Creator of heaven and earth. And that is what this psalm is declaring, that Yahweh is above anything else that resembles a God. That all others are just worthless idols compared to Him. And Yahweh made everything, and He is the only one who is worthy of our praise. And as verse 6 declares, Splendor and majesty are before Yahweh. Strength and glory are in His sanctuary. Now we might hear that and think, I don't have a statue on my mantle that I worship or pray to every day. We may hear that and think, I don't go to a temple and pay tribute to some some god or some priest that's going to offer sacrifices on my behalf. There is an element of idolatry in our modern world today. Now the psalmist, how he was talking about, like he was talking in a very ancient context where nations gathered around a deity or a god and they claimed that as their god and their deity and it was on his name that they'd go and attack other nations or befriend other nations and so... Your, your national identity was wrapped up in the God that you worship. That's what the psalmist is writing to. But here, in our modern day context, we do have idols in our life. Things that we praise and adore in our lives. And if you want to have a really good dialogue about this modern conception of idolatry, I'd encourage you, jot this down, Romans 1, 18-32. Read that this week. It's a very good dialogue on what it means and what the whole idea of the human condition that is found there in idolatry and worship. So I'd encourage you to read that, that chapter in Romans 1 this week. It offers insight into this human condition, how humans foolishly exchange the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal human beings, birds, animals, reptiles. And the results of this was God giving them over to hedonistic lifestyle. Really, he gets very specific and graphic in ideas of sexual relations and how in that act itself, we are worshiping creatures instead of following after God. And that's the wrath of God, is Him just giving us what we want. Say, fine, you you want that lifestyle? You can have it. I'm just going to give you over to that. And it's only by the grace of Jesus that we can be plucked and rescued from that idea. But that idea of this modern conception of idolatry, we see that that God's world is actually full of great things that are given to us by His grace. But anything that we take that God gives us, and we make that the ultimate focus of our existence, results in worship of a false God. Now let's give you a couple, couple of examples. Like money and finances. Very big one in our culture. We think that if you have money and wealth and finances, you are at a better, higher status in life and you can look down at those that have less. 
And money can actually provide you great security in this life. But wait until your money starts getting taken from you, right? Wait until you start feeling fearful about your money and where it's going. Then you start to see where your true adoration and praise lie, right? And it be, be, you start to see that it becomes sort of this idol that you're worshiping. You're worshiping that security that's found in that, in that status. Maybe, maybe another idol that, like, this is something I struggle with, is my kids. I mean, I love my children. I love my kids. I mean, I, I really wish they could come here today. Rory wasn't feeling good today, so they had, the kids had to stay back in the family. They, they send their love. Um, but, man, I had a great, great week this week with my, with my family. We got to go up north on a little vacation, a little retreat, and go and play at parks all week and just have fun and just enjoy them. But if I make my kids the ultimate thing I adore in my life, if I make them the God of my life, you know what? I'm going to crush them. I'm going to crush them, and they're not going to be able to live under that weight. I'm going to try to live vicariously through them and push them into things that I want them to do because I want them to turn out a certain way or to live a certain way. And you know what? That's going to kill them. And that's making your children an idol. And so I have to keep that tempered back. I love and adore my kids, but I have to make sure I just realize that, you know what? They're their own person. God's got to use them. God's got to shape them. God's got to mold them. I can't make them believe the gospel, but I'll pray for them relentlessly. I'll show them the truth. But I can't just worship them and live vicariously through them. I have to worship Yahweh and entrust them to Him. And that goes with any relationship. Like even a spouse, if you make them the ultimate focus and find your ultimate fulfillment in your spouse, or even if you're single and you you want a relationship and you're you're, you're kind of idolizing that person, that's going to crush you. And you know what? None of those things are going to find ultimate fulfillment in your life. And that's what this psalm is telling us. Anything that we lift up and idolize of worship as a God is going to not. Anything we lift up to that position is just a worthless idol. And the examples go on and on and on. Sex, substance abuse, power, authority, greed, etc. But this passage is telling us that Yahweh is better. That Yahweh is worthy of our adoration and worship. And the Gospel tells us that Jesus is the best of all creation and He can handle our worship. He can bear the weight. We can look to Him for all of our ultimate fulfillment in life because He can deliver on that promise. That's what the Gospel proclaims to us. And so when we look at these modern conceptions of idolatry, we need to look to Jesus and pour all of our praise and adoration on Him and trust In our God. This is why Yahweh deserves worship. Because he's better. But the psalmist also gives us another reason why Yahweh deserves our worship. This one's a little bit scarier. Yahweh is judge. And with that, he is the ruler of all. Yahweh is the judge and the ruler of all. Look at verse 13. The psalmist declares, Let all of creation rejoice before Yahweh, for He comes, and He comes to what? Judge the earth. Whoop! Okay, what? What did you say now? We were having a happy psalm here. And then you say, come and rejoice because He is coming to judge? Okay. You ready? The psalmist is going to tell us, 
How, how are you going to judge us, God? How are you going to judge us, Yahweh? How are you going to judge the whole world and everything in it? On what basis? Yahweh will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in His faithfulness. Two things that Yahweh is going to judge the people with. All that we see and all the people of the earth are going to be judged first of all in righteousness. Yeah, I'm done. <laughs> you know, that's, that's what, what we should come to reading this. If it's based on how right and how good I am before God, I'm done for. That's what this psalm should lead us to. I am done for. I know myself. And if even if you're reading the Scripture, the story of Israel declares and shows that even this special, specific nation that had Yahweh so at hand and so close, they were unable to live a righteous existence. They were unable to live righteous before God Himself. What chance do we have? But there is an and in verse 13. Did you see that? There's an and. This truth of living in righteousness is crippling fact indeed, but Yahweh is the judge and ruler of all, and He is going to judge on the basis of that righteousness. But there is a second basis by which Yahweh is going to judge the world, and that is what? His faithfulness. Yahweh's faithfulness. Now see, okay, if I was writing this psalm, I would have probably, if I really wanted people to start following rules and such, I mean, I would have said it'd be based on your righteousness and based on your faithfulness to Yahweh. That's how Yahweh's going to judge you. And that'll get people to stay in line, right? But what's the psalmist do? He does not say our own faithfulness. Whose faithfulness are we going to be judged on? Yahweh himself. Because of Yahweh's faithfulness, we're going to be judged. And this actually is music to our ears that will foster worship. If it was our faithfulness, yes, we'd be toast. But it is by the faithfulness of Yahweh that we are judged. And I don't think that this psalmist really knew fully what he meant. You see, with his perspective, all he had to do was to look back. And I mean, we see, we see the acts of Yahweh in Incredibly faithful throughout the history of Israel, right? Raising up of Abraham and caring for him and his family and making them a mighty nation. And then raising up Moses to take and redeem the people out of Exodus and the great wonders and signs that he does to lead them out of that oppression and slavery and, and, and from the clutches of Pharaoh. And then also setting them up in the promised land and blessing them with the reign of David and the reign of Solomon. The psalmist is looking back at that idea of that faithfulness of Yahweh on history. But I don't know when he's writing this specifically. Um, there's many, much debate about how much of the psalms were, were written and then edited and tweaked a little bit through the second temple period. Maybe even when they were in exile, this psalm was written. And the, the, the psalm book was, was being crafted by the Spirit throughout Israel's history. Could you imagine if he's in exile writing this? We're being judged based on your faithfulness. I'm looking for your faithfulness, Yahweh. I'm looking for your faithfulness. But we live on the other side of this psalm, don't we, church? We live on the other side of this psalm, and we see the faithfulness of Yahweh on display in a person. I asked you to put a finger in Romans 8. Turn there with me if you would. The faithfulness of Yahweh 
is in that He did not spare His own Son, but He gave Him to us as a gift. Jesus was condemned in sinful flesh in order that the righteousness of God, the righteous requirement of the law might be granted to us. Now, there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for we are all children of God that can even come to Him and say, Abba, Father. In Romans chapter 8, I'm going to start reading in verse 31. I just want to read this. If you just read this and speak this to your heart, this truth will set you free. And I hope that this truth will make you sing. I'm going to read Romans 8, verse 31. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us, how will He not also, along with Him, graciously give us all things? For who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Jesus Christ, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God. And He is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us then from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, or hardship, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all of these things we are more than conquerors. Through Him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither present nor future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen, church? That is the truth of the Gospel. That is the faithfulness of Yahweh, the ruler of all coming in the flesh to make a way for us. That ought to make your soul sing. And if that does not make your soul sing, may this be the Spirit giving you that warning that this should make your soul sing. This is the truth that sets us free. Romans 8 also tells us that the creation is waiting eagerly for a renewal of all. The creation itself is groaning to be liberated from bondage and decay. And that brings us to the final question that I want us to ask this song. Who should worship Yahweh? Who is it that should worship Yahweh? And your answer is, according to this, the whole wide world. That means everything and everybody. Let's look at everything first. Just like the Gospel drives us to sing with joy, the creation itself is groaning to sing as well. Look at verse 11. Let the heavens rejoice. Let the earth be glad. Let the sea resound in all that is in it. Let the fields be jubilant and everything in them. Let all the trees of the forest sing for joy. Let all creation rejoice before the Lord. Did you notice the sea and the fields and also the fish of the sea and the seaweed and the trees and the deer and the squirrels and the birds? Yes, all of creation, holistically, everything, worship Yahweh. And do you notice the repeated phrase there, the repeated word that comes over and over and over again, let. These things just automatically praise 
and, and honor and worship Yahweh. And the psalmist is telling you, let them speak to you. Listen to them. Hear their voice. They're echoing throughout the creation. Creation worships Yahweh on its own. We just need to listen to it. Reminds me of the triumphal entry. When Jesus comes into Jerusalem, and everyone's praising, and the Pharisees are saying, why, why are you making these people praise you and adore you? And he said, if these people weren't here praising me, guess what? The rocks themselves would be singing. <laughs> it's like, that's what it reminds me of. Because the creation just wants to praise and worship and adore Yahweh. And there this passage of Scripture is telling you, he's not really telling you to do anything except to just listen. Enjoy God. Look around you. We live in this beautiful world that points us towards the beauty of our Creator. So here's the command from Scripture for you today. Go on a hike this week. Look up at the stars. I miss that living in the city. Take a trip to the Milwaukee Zoo and just marvel at the uniqueness of God's creation. Don't miss the beauty that is the world around you. Have good food and drink and company and say, thank you, God. Thank you, Yahweh, for this beautiful, wonderful gift of your grace. But guess what? We also are part of that creation that is singing to Yahweh. And that's where the second part. Who should worship Yahweh? Everybody. You see this all throughout the text. Look at verse 1. Sing to Yahweh all the earth. Verse 3, declare Yahweh's glory among all the nations, His marvelous deeds among all the peoples. Verse 7, ascribe or give to Yahweh all you families of nations. Verse 9, worship Yahweh all the earth. Verse 10, say among the nations Yahweh reigns. Yahweh has authority to judge all peoples. Verses 10 and 13, and the whole earth. Since Yahweh is the ruler and king over everyone, Everyone ought to worship Him. Have you ever seen your worship and praise of Yahweh evangelistically? It's a question I have for you. There may be a lesson hidden in this psalm. First, upwards to God, focusing on Him, but then outwards towards those around us. Our praise and adoration and our focus is on God and on Jesus. And through that praise, it outflows to all those that come around us. This doesn't just mean singing or preaching in the open air. But think through. What do you do for something that really gets you excited? That really amps you up, right? Fancy football is just around the corner. I love recruiting people to be in my league. The latest Marvel movie or Marvel series. I just love watching those and love the storytelling. My favorite restaurant. You can talk all day about the things that you love and adore. I'm asking you, love and adore Yahweh our God. Tell people about Him. We share what we love. That's what this psalm is telling. Now, when trying to lead others to share their faith, I've seen a lot of people use guilt and shame to recruit workers to soul win, you know, and things like that. But that's not my jam, really. So before you start feeling, you know, anxiety or pressure of evangelism, I just want to share a passage with you. 
Um, and that's found in Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 and 10. I can just read it for you. You don't have to turn there. But this is, this is the vision that John was given of where creation is heading towards. And this is what John sees. I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. And they were wearing white robes, and they were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. God doesn't need us to accomplish this goal in history. It's going to happen. (laughs) That has been written. But He is inviting you to partner with Him and be a part of it. He's inviting you to step in and be a part of it and bring these nations and these languages together in praise and adoration of Yahweh. And this is where God is leading creation. I have to ask you, do you want to be a part Lord, our God, we are in awe of your glory. We are in awe of your gospel as we've seen it on display here this morning. We are in awe of your faithfulness and your love for us. And that we can find freedom in your son, Jesus. From judgment, from damnation, from your judgment. Lord, I pray that you would use our praise for you to reach the ears of others. I pray that you would use our adoration and our love for you to show others what it means to truly follow Jesus. And Father, I pray that by your Spirit you would raise up men and women in this building to share the greatness of of you and of your Son, Jesus. And that, Lord, we may see that you're up to something, that we just might be a part of it. I thank you for this text here this morning. I thank you for your word. I thank you for your Son, Jesus. And I thank you that you have saved our souls. I pray these things in his precious name.